7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. Thank you and a very good evening. Welcome to the show. I am Tabiso Musia. Lyolom Kalipi is the producer. Babalom Duma is in technical again tonight and this evening. We continue profiling the African teams at the World Cup. We've spoken about Nigeria on Monday. Yesterday it was Senegal and tonight we look at Egypt who are actually out of the competition now. Um, they lost for the second time last night but after Uruguay won uh, this uh, evening against Saudi Arabia, it's been officially confirmed now that Egypt are out of the tournament. So we're going to get reaction from Cairo to find out how they are feeling and what were the expectations back home uh, before this tournament. It's their first World Cup since 1990 and um, also what went wrong basically as far as Egypt is concerned. So we'll speak to them uh, shortly. Uh, We'll also look at what's happening on the ground in South African football. We've been doing that throughout the week or what is not happening rather. On Monday we spoke about the fight over the running of schools football between uh, SAFA and SASFA. Yesterday we tried to understand how football academies operate since Many say there is no development in the country. And tonight we want to talk about the lack of white and Indian players in the PSL. I mean, back in the day, there used to be so many white South African players taking part in professional football as well as Indian players. But these days you can count them in one hand. Those that play in the PSL, off the top of my head, I can count Michael Morton, uh, Van Herden, Darren Kiet, Dean Fairman, Cardoso, Godinho, Brad Hrobla, Dino Fissa. Who else? Okay, those are the ones I can think of at the moment. But we want to find out what is the reason because there seems to be a lot of reasons for this. And if you think you know why this is the case, please also call us in on 0891-104-207, our SMS line 40938, our WhatsApp number 614 And we have a former Deben City and Amazulian Vets striker in studio with us, Mr. Kevin Moody, just to talk about this topic. is now part of the Renberg Football Club as a chief operations officer. And I think it's probably the biggest club in Johannesburg if you look at the numbers that uh, they have at the Randburg Football Club. But before all of that, Ashwin Willem says legal team has announced that they're not happy with the findings of Advocate Maleka uh, and they have said that they will take this matter further. I've had the chance to read through the report and contrary to what's being reported out there, there seems to be a lot that's in the report that's not been made public. For example, from what I've read, from what I, from in the report actually, emails of Nick Mallet saying that he doesn't want to work with Ashwin Willems are there. He says Ashwin Willem said doesn't understand rugby. He talks a lot of garbage. Those emails have been released. He Malet further goes on to say that Ashwin is complex, has got agendas. He also says that he doesn't respect Ashwin Willems' work. So there seems to be a history here. And in the report, he also admits Nick Malet to using some strong language after a disagreement with Ashwin Willems. And uh, it, it's also revealed what happened off air before the incident that we all saw on air. So we're going to speak to Ashwin Willems' legal team just to find out why are they not happy and what is the next step from us. And actually, let's do that uh, right now. Uh, let's speak to Otu Ngobi Zitamlilo, who's Ashwin Willems' lawyer. He's actually with us on the line. Ngobi, good evening and thank you for joining us on SAFM. Uh, good evening and uh, thank you very much for having me. Well, firstly, obviously, I assume you are acting under the instructions of Ashwin Willemse, and that's why you are talking today and you're doing media interviews. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. You seem to have been shocked, Mobi, by the findings of Advocate Maleka. What surprised you the most in that report? Well, what surprised us is that he proceeded with the with the process. We had a discussion with him, and in that discussion we raised two issues. The first one being a question of law, and the second one being a question of process. We said to him that uh, uh, Ashwin was not an employee of Supersport. He was an independent contractor. So we sought an understanding from Advocate Vincent Maleka as to the status of that the inquiry that he was going to conduct because you cannot subject a person who's not an employee to a disciplinary hearing or to an inquiry of that nature. The response we got was that uh, his participation in that uh, process was going to be a voluntary one. The second one, uh, and we're satisfied with that answer, the second one related to a question of process. How was he going to conduct this inquiry? And the response we got from Advocate Vincent Maleka was that he was going to have discussions with people, and having had discussions with people, he was going to formulate a report. And in that report, he was not going to make a finding as to whether or not the conduct complained of uh, amounted to racism. We then had a debate with him to say that that is not what his terms of reference say. And after that debate, 
uh, we came to the to a, a, an agreement that the terms of reference, his terms of reference of necessity, would have required him to make a determination as to whether or not the conduct complained of was that of of racism, and therefore, if there was common cause in that respect, we suggested that. Uh, the method in which he was going to conduct that that process necessitated that Ashwin hears the evidence that is going to be presented by all those people, and if necessary, rebut that which they are going to say. So, and and, and it, it, because the, the the process that Advocate Vincent Maleka uh, suggested was that he was going to speak to whoever he wants to speak to speak to, and then he alone would come to a determination of of of, of the matter without the evidence of any of the persons being tested, and we. We thought that that process was, was deeply flawed, and we've indicated to um, Advocate Vincent Maleka that we didn't. We, we thought that the process had a predetermined outcome because Supersport One had already indicated that they did not see uh, any racism. Secondly, the procedure that he was going to use was bound to produce a predetermined outcome, and therefore we saw no value in participating in that process. It was Ashwin had already expressed his views. Uh, Ashwin had already expressed his, his views on the matter, and therefore there was no need uh, for a further regurgitation. Then the third issue was that uh, Advocate Vincent Maleka indicated that he was going to seek the assistance of uh, of, of, of certain experts on, on race relations, and he declined to tell us who those experts were going to be. And we did not see the need for us to, to participate in a process where we don't know who is going to testify, what exactly are they going to say, and, and, and whether or not we'll be able to give an opportunity to, to cross-examine. Then lastly, he then indicated that he was going to produce two reports, one for the purposes of public consumption, and the second one, which was going to be a private document for the for the for the purposes of uh, of, of SuperSport, and and we found that inherently problematic. Why do you need to produce two reports? One which is confidential and one one which is public on a, on a such an important issue. So a whole compendium of issues led us to an inevitable conclusion that it was fruitless for Ashwin to participate in that process. Okay, so from what you've said, let's let let's pick it up from what you've said. You've mentioned quite a number of things. Let's start with the statement that Supersport had said a couple of days after the incident that uh, there was no racism here. There was also a statement with quotes from from Ashwin Willemse. Were those quotes from Ashwin Willemse? What happened immediately after the the incident is that. Uh, they had a discussion with Supersport, and Ashwin insisted that this issue was, was rooted in, in racism. They sought Ashwin to sign off a statement, which statement was suggesting that the, this issue was not racism, and he refused to do so. Supersport nonetheless went ahead and published that statement without the consent of, uh, of Ashwin. Then belatedly sought to appoint advocate Vincent Maleka to repeat the same process. So it was inevitable that they were going to come to the same conclusion. And we did tell advocate Vincent Maleka that mm. the, the, this whole process was, was, was being done to sanitize the mess that Supersport had done, and that he, advocate Vincent Maleka, was simply being used to coordinate and vaccinate an otherwise deeply flawed process. Yes, and Advocate Maleka does actually mention that he did meet with you, with you, with, with you guys on the fifth of June. A lot of people believe that you never met with him, but he does say that he did meet with you, and he confirms all these uh, issues that you've raised that you raised with him. The second point you raised was the issue of the independent analyst. I've read the report. Professor Adam Habib is the one that was uh, whose expertise was sought here. Uh, I, 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 are you saying that you're not happy that Professor Adam Habib is the one uh, that uh, gave um, his views here? Have we lost him? Oh, okay. Sorry, we seem to have lost Ngobizi uh, Tamlilo there who speaks on behalf of Eshwin Vellemse. Uh, they've been talking today for the first time, I think, that we've heard uh, from the other side because Eshwin Vellemse hasn't spoken. And as you heard, I asked him before if he's instructed by Eshwin Vellemse to do these media interviews. And he says that they have been instructed by Eshwin Vellemse to do these media interviews. So that's why I thought we should just get an understanding from their side on what is it that they're not happy about. And we've got uh, Ngobizi Tamlilo back on the line. Ngobi, about that i wanted to pick up on the second point that you raised that there was an independent basically race analyst that was sought to give uh, the uh, views and a verdict here and it was professor adam habib are you not happy with that the fact that professor adam habib was the one that was sought here to give his views i think the less we say about professor adam habib the better why is that educators well, we some of us are just in mm. when it comes to race relations Generally, and in particular that, yes. 
Okay. So what what's also in the in in the in the report is the issue of the emails. The emails have been re, have been released. Uh, they've been revealed. Nick Mallet complaining over the years to Supersport Management several times, saying he doesn't want to work with Ashwin because Ashwin talks a lot of garbage. He basically doesn't respect his rugby knowledge. Were you always aware of these emails? We were not aware of this specific email, but the 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 issue is is it has a long history. And the point we're making is that Ashwin's reaction on that day is not the sum total of everything. This issue has a long history, and Ashwin has long expressed his view to Supersport that these two gentlemen have a problematic view of black people, and, and, and these issues have not been attended to. So or the day in question was simply a day on which this comes back, back broke, as it were. Mm. And has Ashwin, on the uh, on the other hand, written emails to complain about one of the other analysts, whether it's Nick Mallet, whether it's Nasbota, whether it's somebody else? He has expressed his view to the leadership of Supersport that he finds the behavior of the two gentlemen patronizing and, be, uh, and, uh, and, and deeply rooted in racism. Mm. And talking about patronizing, the report also makes mention of an off-air incident just before the live broadcast that everybody saw, uh, where Ashwin actually says to Nasbota and Nick Mallet that they're patronizing him. They continue to laugh. Even the anchor Mutsi DC says she overheard the conversation and Ashwin was angry. So it seems like there was a build-up of events even on the day. Yes, there was, and and, and that's why I'm saying that his reaction on the day was simply uh, something he could not take anymore. There's a long history to this. He has expressed his views to the leadership of Supersport, and there's not been action that has been taken. So explain to us this Advocate Maleka report. Was it was it an investigation? Was it an inquiry? Was it a DC? And if and, and what's the difference between these three? You see, when we met Advocate Vincent Maleka, we sought clarity on those issues uh, because we indicated that the manner in which he wanted to proceed with the inquiry could not reconcile with the terms of reference. Uh, he suggested that his duty and mandate was simply to gather the facts of what happened and, uh, and leave it at that. In other words, not make a determination as to whether or not there was racism. We debated with him that that was not what the terms of reference was, was going to be. So from the onset, it was clear that the advocate Vincent Maleka had no proper appreciation of his own terms of reference. And therefore, how could he conduct an inquiry or an investigation, whatever he, he chose to do, without properly understanding what his terms of reference are? There's a clear difference between conducting an inquiry and conducting an investigation. Mm. So do you think this should have not gone ahead or should have gone ahead without Ashwin's input? Well, we, we, we see to ask in Vincent Maleka that his forum was an inappropriate forum to deal with this issue. We said to him that rather refer the matter to the Human Rights Commission. If Supersport is determined and is serious about dealing with race question and dealing with race issues, let's jointly refer the matter to the Human Rights Commission because the Human Rights Commission is a constitutional structure. It is the institutional capacity to deal with issues of race. So the issue of referring this issue to the Human Rights Commission was our suggestion to advocate Vincent Maleka, which suggestion was was treated with contempt and not taken seriously. We were surprised now in his report. He's now saying that the matter must be referred to the Human Rights Commission. That is what should have been done from the onset, that he should not have conducted this hearing. They should have referred the matter to the Human Rights Commission. But now that the hearing has happened already, the Human Rights Commission now has become offered an inappropriate forum to deal with the matter. The matter must now be referred to the Equality Court because the Equality Court has the institutional capacity to have the evidence of all persons who testified before Advocate Vincent Maleka to have their version tested and to have whatever views they have subjected, subjected to cross-examination. Yeah, well, the report does. Uh, Advocate Maleka says his report is not binding, and he actually orders Supersport to go to an appropriate forum, which has the authority to make findings of fact and conclusion of law. So, are you saying this was actually you? You came up with this suggestion, not them, or sup- not Advocate Maleka or Supersport? No, 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 no. Yes, we we made that suggestion to Advocate Vincent Maleka. It, it was not out of his the benevolence of Supersport or the supposed brilliance of uh, of Advocate Vincent Maleka. We made that suggestion to him, to him, and they did not take it, which is why we're finding it extremely surprising now that they are now thinking that the the, the referral to the Human Rights Commission is an, is, is appropriate. Now, if he's saying his findings are not binding, so what was the value of the process in the first place? Mm. So where are you going now if you're not going to the Human Rights Commission? 
we're going to the Equality Court. But Super Sport yesterday indicated that they are desirous of speaking to Ashwin, and if, if, if they are desirous to speak to Ashwin, we are waiting for their call, we are waiting for their correspondence. Uh, Ashwin is ready and available to talk to them uh, and hear what it is that they want to say. But if they are coming to talk to him in the same way they've been talking to him since the incident happened, then we definitely headed to the Equality Court. Okay, Advocate Ngobizi Tamlilo, uh, Ashwin Velemses, a part of Ashwin Velemses' legal team. Thank you very much for joining us on air. We just wanted to find an understanding of why you are not happy and what's the next step. Do you still believe that you made the right decision by Ashwin not testifying uh, in front of Advocate Malek? Absolutely, because we told Advocate Vincent Maleka that the outcome of this inquiry was predetermined, and uh, and we have now been vindicated. That's, that, that's exactly, we saw this coming a long way. Okay, thank you very much, the advocate Mobizita Mlilo. A couple of messages coming through. Wonga says some people are not satisfied unless they can find racism. Um, I think with all due respect, he's a lawyer and he's Ashwin Willems as a lawyer, so he's taking this issue from, from that side. And then uh, Romy sending us an SMS that he sent yesterday. Really, Romy, if you're going to send us an SMS, please send us an SMS. Don't You don't have to mention whether you're black or white. I don't think it matters on this show whether you're black or white. And I think it's for that reason that we ignored it yesterday. Let's be, let's be genuine. Let's send SMSs. It doesn't matter the color of your skin if your point is valid we will read it but once you start saying I'm, I'm black or i'm white and this and this and then we really can't take you seriously up next we're going to go to egypt sabc the official broadcaster of the 2018 fifa world cup russia leading sport stories of the day on safm before we get into our conversation about the lack of white players and Indian players in professional football in South Africa, let's go quickly to Egypt to continue what we've been doing this week. And we want to get reaction now that Egypt officially out of the FIFA World Cup in Russia after two defeats. And Ahmed Afifi, head of Arabic News at Goal and Egypt, joins us on the line. Ahmed, uh, thank you for joining us. Good evening. Thank you for joining us on SAFM in South Africa. Hello, Ahmed. Hello. Yes, can hello, you? Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. I oh, can hear you. Okay, I was saying good evening, sir, and thank you for very much for joining us on SAFM in South Africa. Thank you for having me. Well, I don't know if it's a good evening for you now that it's official that Egypt out of the World Cup. How is the feeling in Egypt at the moment? Uh, actually, it's, uh, it's frustrating here in Egypt. Uh, Egyptians were waiting for this moment uh, since more than uh, 20 years. Uh, since uh, 1990. Uh, right now, we felt uh, it was a group that we can qualify from it to the next round. Uh, we couldn't have much better choices than Uruguay and Russia. Uh, this, that Russian loss was really hard for Egyptians to accept, although it, for me, for my part, it was uh, very predictable. You are playing against, or you were playing against the host, uh, a team that has a good midfielders, a team that has uh, good physical conditions compared to Egypt. So, actually, expectations were high, but uh, reality was uh, wasn't the same as expectations. Mm. So, so what went wrong? Where was it all lost in these two matches? Sorry, I can't couldn't hear you well. I'm saying what went wrong that you've suffered two losses. Uh, what went wrong in the first place was some choices that uh, the coach, Mr. Hector Cooper, couldn't uh, couldn't sort out well. Uh, actually, excluding so much strikers and uh, settling uh, to Barwa Mohsen wasn't the, the best choice. Mm. Uh, also, Ramadan Sobhi's uh, presence wasn't that uh, good for uh, Egypt in both matches. Uh, he also excluded some good wingers like Walid Sulaiman, uh, like Hussein Al Shahat. Uh, those two players should have been in the, in our team, and of course Mohamed Salah's absence. And uh, also, even after he played against Russia, he wasn't in a hundred percent condition. To, he wasn't that fit to be playing against a very physical team like Russia. So. As you said, as you also, uh, it wasn't that perfect uh, show from Egypt. And by the end of the day, uh, Russia and also Uruguay capitalized on our biggest weakness, which was handling high balls, crosses, set pieces. These uh, these situations we are not good uh, dealing with. So Russia and uh, Uruguay capitalized on it and had their wins. 
So we congratulate them. And uh, hopefully after World Cup, uh, either if Cooper stayed or left, uh, it would be much better in terms of choices for the for our national team. It's time for fresh faces. It's time to have new guys who can replace and should be replacing some guys like Ahmed Fathi, our captain, who mm. had the own goal mm. uh, against Russia. Uh, some guy like uh, Ramadan Sobhi, Marwan Mohsin. Those guys uh, can't, uh, couldn't provide any useful displays or performances for Egypt. So I hope we can replace them in the next period. Mm. There was a lot of talk about Mo Salah going into the tournament. How do you think the whole injury situation was handled by the by the team and by the FA? Actually, the, it was overhyped. It was overhyped by the FA, by the media here in Egypt. Uh, maybe we concentrated more on showing off, um, more than even preparing to the World Cup uh, properly. Actually, it wasn't a secret that uh, so many uh, personalities were there in the hotel for Egypt. Uh, it was for a show of support, but uh, it wasn't handled that good. Uh, so many uh, public personalities were there. Uh, it damaged the preparations for Russia's match. And uh, even Mohammed Salah talked about it. Uh, it's, uh, it's not secret here in Egypt that Mohammed Salah showed frustration after the match because of what happened. Um, actually, all went wrong from the first minute when we entered the match against Uruguay, trying only to defend without having a policy or a tactics, some tactics, anything, any any sort of play style to attack Uruguay's goal. And depending solely on Salah in the second match wasn't that good for us also. And all of that, all of these conditions were combined together to end our journey in the World Cup really early. You say really early. You say that this was a reasonable group. What were the realistic expectations from the people of Egypt of their team going into this tournament? How far did you expect to go? For me, I expected that we we should lose or we could lose to Russia, but we can have something good against Uruguay because actually Uruguay. Uh, have some weaknesses. Uh, here in Egypt, we also, all the, all the public here in Egypt were uh, maybe anticipating that round of 16's presence, but uh, that was uh, realistic somehow, but uh, at the end, we couldn't manage to achieve it. Uh, we sacrificed our hopes against Russia. When, the, when we saw that last gasp goal against uh, Uruguay, yeah. scored by Jose Maria Jimenez, uh, it was hard mentally for also the, our team, our national team, it was mentally hard on them to accept it. And uh, for our all Egyptian here supporting the Egyptian national team, it wasn't that good also. Yeah. Okay. We I'll, put in yeah. a solid performance, but uh, you saw what happened. Yeah. Well, as someone is saying on social media, you're very good at AFCON. You still have AFCON next year and they expect you to do very well at AFCON. But unlike about what happened in uh, Russia, a lot of people were behind uh, Egypt going into the tournament. But thank you very much, Ahmed Afifi, for speaking to us on SAFM in South Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, then, we're going to talk to Kevin Moody, a former Deben City Amazulu Bidvest Vets striker. We want to find out why there are no white players uh, like him now in professional football. This is SAFM. Hashtag SAFM Sport On. Okay, well, well, thank you. We are continuing our conversation now to find out what is going on in South African football. And our first guest is Kevin Moody, as I said, former Deben City Amazulu vet striker. Kevin, you clearly haven't changed because a couple of people in the building, when you walked in, have said, is that Kevin Moody? Is that Kevin Moody? I've had t- three people ask me that. <laughs> oh, whoever they are, to be so, I'd like them to come and live with me because <laughs> I've certainly changed. I've got older, fatter, 
everything else. <laughs> but they will never forget for, forget you, clearly. But good evening and thank you very much for joining us in studio on SAFM. Um, Kevin, you are involved with, I said it's the biggest football club in Joburg. I've seen it and I'm talking number and participation. But firstly, are we correct to raise concerns about the lack of white players in professional football in South Africa? Do you feel there's a lack of white players in pro football? I think there's definitely a lack of white players uh, that uh, pers- that want to pursue their dreams further. Um, and But there's a number of contributing factors, that certainly in my opinion, and the experiences that, that I've had. Well, it's, it's I don't know if talent is one of them, but I don't think it could be talent. What are some of those factors from your point of view? Well, it, in my opinion, and the players that I've seen, they're certainly not about talent. There's some very talented players out there. I think just when they uh, finish grades seven, standard five in my day, that when they get to high school, I think they come under a lot of pressure. And not only the white players, even mm-hmm. the, the yeah. in the previously only white schools, um, which is obviously very multiracial now. And uh, I think a lot of the time is, is when the players go there, they come under pressure in terms of having to play so many different sports in a short period of time. And uh, we all know in order to be a, a top sportsman mm-hmm. in this country, you've got to focus on one. There's also this other argument, now that you've raised this issue, that these uh, so-called Model C schools uh, do not make football a, pri- a priority and they rather prioritize other sports. I've had parents complain. I know uh, recently there's a parent that took up one of the big schools in Joburg saying that why is there no soccer? Is that also an issue? I think it can be an issue. There's certainly a lot of the uh, top private schools and uh, uh, they do they do offer football. And um, But in my opinion, and the the... the opportunities that I've had to watch and look through even when my son was in the school was that uh, they don't offer the same amount of period of time and certainly not the same intensity as they do as they would do with rugby. Mm. Now I told you off uh, before we started this interview that my, my seven year old actually plays at the Randbeck Academy and you said I look familiar I also didn't know that uh, <laughs> you would be our guest uh, but 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 in his team he plays week in and week out and there's so many young white players it's such a mixture Indian colored girls they all play together everybody is happy so at that age they're playing you've got no problems it's only when up, up until like the ages of 15 that you start losing them. I would say probably from 14, 15 high mm-hmm. school that uh, a lot of the kids go go to the high school and as I said earlier, they get put under pressure and they want to become rugby players and a lot of the teachers and coaches uh, put the kids under the pressure, under pressure, sorry, excuse me, to play cricket first for the first two, three months or whatever mm-hmm. it may be mm-hmm. uh, and then rugby kicks in in terms of training and soccer is really only offered in my experience that I'm aware of, and maybe it's changed slightly in the last couple of years, but certainly towards the August, September months. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really six, six weeks of the season, of the year, for a season, which is really not enough uh, in anybody's books. How different is it from back in the days when you were playing? The whole school system. Well, we played, there was a lot of emphasis put on, on soccer and rugby uh, when I was playing. Obviously, it was only a, a previously white school only, but there certainly was a lot of emphasis. In our, and uh, the school that I was at in Durban was certainly one of the top football schools uh, in the country at that time. And uh, it, it's changed in the sense that there's a lot more, obviously, money and sponsorships gone into trying to attract the best kids in terms of mm-hmm. rugby, cricket, soccer, whatever it may be, to the high schools. Each school is vying for their little piece of pie, so to speak, to attract, to make it better. Mm. And uh, certainly in terms of getting the best players, gives the school a better name out there in terms of sport. The other argument that I've heard, and I don't know how true this is, um, is that also most of the white parents really don't believe in South African football and that it's at a level where their players, where their kids could be playing South African football. And I'm hearing that they rather move their players to overseas academy at a very young age. Do you, do you get that also? I don't know about moving them to overseas academy. Uh, the kids certainly got to have a bit of talent and be really special, in my opinion, to to go there. But I, I think maybe a lot of the parents, and not only white parents, I think coloured, black, and and Indian parents are sometimes disillusioned at what the future holds for certainly some of their players. Because if we're honest about it, I mean, you can only select eleven to play at one time, mm-hmm. and uh, I just think where the schools play a role is that we should really be turned around and saying to the kids, listen, if you like football or if you're a footballer or a rugby player or a cricketer, whatever it is, you need to focus on that sport, in my opinion, certainly for 11 months, 10 months there, whatever it is. Because any team or any player, should I say, that that trains twice a week for an hour, Mm -hmm. trains eight hours a month. 
So you're asking him to become a professional footballer for a third of a day a month. He trains eight hours mm. a month. It's ridiculous. It's, uh, you cannot do that. Mm. Now, how is, um, how is the situation as far as the, as the junior leagues are concerned now? Uh, the ones that maybe the Renbeck Football Club plays in. How is the representation there? No, the representation is very good across the board. And I speak mm. for our club in particular. We've uh, got representation of every colour. And we're proud to say that we're probably one of the most diverse clubs in Johannesburg and Gauteng and we're very happy about that because the quality that we have uh, shines through certainly at, at young ages and and obviously a lot of the times in the junior football maybe not to the extent that we'd like it but obviously that's progress and progress and progress mm. is it the biggest club because i registered my kid this year and it's amazing the amount of players that you see on a monday or on a tuesday the parents that are there but also how well organized it is how you get information very early in the week about the fixtures and all of that to be so when you joined the club did, uh, did we charge you fees <laughs> if we charge you fees i wouldn't have invited me onto the station my friend now, on a serious note, yeah. uh, it's it's organised. It's a very organised club. We do provide all the information uh, as early as we can. And I think that's another thing we pride ourselves on is the organisation that we have and the structure that we have and the communication. We do make mistakes as a club, obviously, mm -hmm. across the board. But generally speaking, we run a good ship. And I would, I don't want to say we're the biggest club, uh, but I think we must be close to being one of the biggest clubs in, in Gauteng. Mm. And, and what is the club about? Because it was quite interesting when I went in the first time and I was asked, asked how many under eight teams are there and I was told we can have as many as we can because the kids are not necessarily playing to win there. Uh, you want them to enjoy the football and yeah. all of that. Is that what you work on at a young age? Well, we do. It's not about winning, obviously, at that age. If you win a game, that's great. But we believe in trying to develop the kids as best as we can in terms of their technical ability. And if their technical ability surpasses other players generally speaking they'll win the game but it's not what it's about at the, at the end of the day we want to try and develop them have let them have fun enjoy themselves because not everybody's going to be a cristiano ronaldo or Lionel messi so it's important that we understand that from a community point of view that we embrace those kids because you never know how they will develop in future mm. now back to schools football i want to find out whose responsibility is this to make sure uh, that, that that the white players and the indian players are staying in the game because i can understand why the parents are disillusioned like you said on monday we spoke to sasfa south african schools football association they've been involved in a three-year battle court case with Safa about the running of schools football and and Mandla Mazubuko told us that schools football is is suffering on the ground because of this of of, of, of this of, of this court battle and it seems like it's just all about the money whose responsibility is this do you think that the association should take responsibility here or the people who run school football well that's a very difficult question to answer I've got to be honest because we obviously have associations that control football through Safa for the clubs mm -hmm. and then obviously you've got the schools that uh, that themselves look after their own teams i think where the difference is, is generally speaking and i'm generalizing is that you'll find a lot of the coaches that do coach at club level have a little bit more experience mm -hmm. in terms of football not everybody but a, f a lot of them as opposed to a teacher who might be a science teacher coming to coach a kid on a tuesday and thursday afternoon for an hour and uh, an hour at a time and uh, so i think it's up to the schools in particular for their players, the players that, uh, that attend their school, to ensure that the coaching that is done is of the highest standard possible. And I like the fact that you touch you, you, you touch on coaches because well, I can only refer to the Renberg where my kid plays. They talk about the diamond formation and they're playing the diamond formation. And I'm like, what is going on? What do you know about the diamond? You're only seven. But I had a conversation with Gavin Hunt, I think, two seasons ago, and he was telling us the importance of getting the right coaches at a young age, saying that he was invited to an under-12 tournament or under-10 tournament, I can't remember, uh, to, to look at these two specific boys that were very good players. And for 20 minutes, 15 minutes before the match, they were doing frog jumps. By the time... They, they, the game kicked off. They couldn't kick the ball because the legs were so heavy. How important are the coaches um, at, 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 at this youth level? Absolutely. Uh, certainly under 6, 7, 8, 9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, all the way through, every single bit of warm-up should be only with the ball and teaching the, the drills. And there should never, ever be any running or, or players standing in lines where there's six players, seven players waiting to have one shot at a time. It's got to be on the move the entire time. Is the, the, the ball's got to be in play. It has mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way kids are going to improve is if they touch the ball more times than most players.
Mm. Uh, we're going to go to the lines. A lot of people are calling us. We're talking to Kevin Moody just about uh, what's happening in South African football. And tonight we're looking at just the absence of white and Indian uh, players. I did ask him if we're exaggerating and he said uh, we are not. So it seems like we're on the right track. And if you want to join the conversation, 891 SMS 40938, WhatsApp 61 Hashtag SAFM Sport On. I've already got an SMS here from Buzz Kevin who says, I remember in the old days when my team Deben United used to give Deben City a hiding. Can you confirm or deny that? Please just cut that SMS off. Okay, Buzz, you're no longer welcome on the <laughs> show. Thank you very, thank you very much. <laughs> but Kevin, before I go to the lines, Yemzugis, I'm coming to you and shortly. I just want to understand. Back in the day, with what was happening in the country during the apartheid era and all the segregation and all that stuff, you still found white players. You still found them playing with the with the black guys. Why is it so hard now that we? have um, freedom it's a, once again it's a difficult question but you know a lot of it is, is subject to individual choice by parents mm. who their kids choose when they leave uh, uh, junior school so to speak to go to high school you know they've been playing soccer generally generally speaking from six years of age so they've been playing seven eight years already and a lot of them are attracted to the new sport because the ha- high schools are very abuzz if you're a first-team rugby player. And that's what they strive to when they get to standard six through to, uh, through to matric. A lot of them do. And I think a lot of the kids that come through that are soccer players, generally speaking, become good rugby players or good cricketers. I see in recent years they've started to introduce rugby into to junior school as well. Yes, yes, yes. So, and um, they're giving them contracts at that young age. Well, and I've spoken to one of them and he was telling I'm me… I'm surprised to hear that. Uh, he was telling me actually that he also had a choice to play soccer or rugby, but because he was offered a, a contract with the rugby and he has to put bread on the table for his family, he had to choose rugby even though what he enjoyed the most was soccer. But when he saw the contract and his parents saw the contract, he went to rugby. I'm going to go to the calls next after this quick break. Call Tabiso now. 0891-104-207. Ooh, the lines are flashing here. It's like Christmas Day with the lights. Uh, let's go to Mzugisi Engobo. Mzugisi Engobo, good evening. Thank you for joining us. What's your comment? No, Tabiso, I was listening to your show in the beginning when you introduced your show. Mm. But I'm not in front of the radio. I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about now. But I heard you talking about white players and yes. Indian players. We're talking about that. In our soccer. I think what you should do, you should we should go back to what, for instance, where I grew up in the 90s. You must go back to schools, high schools. Mm. That's where you can get these guys. Mm. You see? That's where you can get them. I remember the times of Rodden Charles and this, Rodden Charles, Owen Takama, those guys. You should mm. then go back to the schools. And, and that's then what I'm asking my guest. What's the difference between back then and now? I don't know what, what happened. It, it, it changed after 1994, if you can look very carefully. Mm. Everything changed in 90, after 1994. Mm. Then if you can take that, that system we were using then, in the olden Transkai, for instance, Transkai and Siskai, go back there in the high schools. Then you can get those guys. Okay, Mzugisi Ennobo, thank yeah. you uh, for that. Let's go to Chico in Johannesburg. Chico, I'm told you have a theory on the matter. Good evening. Good evening, Tabiso, and good evening to Stedengo there in the studio. Tabiso, <laughs> uh, uh, just a quick one, man. Look, uh, it, it boils down to our FA uh, Football Association having to dig deep in trying to market the game itself. You, you can come across any boy in any of them all, 16, 15. Mm-hmm. Ask him what team do you support. You're most likely to get an answer of an overseas team. And we should ask ourselves, what is the reason for this? If you are to offer a gift of a kid to any boy of 15 or 16 in any part of the country, they will obviously opt for a, a, a Barcelona jersey, a Real Madrid jersey. Why don't they look forward to, to wearing our own domestic team jerseys? You know, it boils down to our football association needs to do a lot more. I know that the, the chairman of the league is trying his, his utmost best, but I think it needs to also has to filter through to the parents to also push our local teams. I mean, if you were, uh, ask a boy anywhere, uh, if Manchester United are on the prison, prison tour, 
The boy will tell you that Manchester United have landed in Cape Town. But if you were to ask about a uh, Devon Derby between Colin Arrows and Amazulu, they wouldn't have an idea. So there's a lot that still needs to be done in, in, in communicating the game to the young ones at a very early age. I think your comments exactly what uh, the Kaiser Chief Chairman, Kaiser Mutawung, said a couple of months ago, or was it last season, when he said that his, 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 his grandkids tell him about Chelsea. They know every single player of Chelsea, but when it comes to local football, they know nothing about local football. And Chico says it goes down to the authorities. William in the free state good evening what's your comment of view or question yeah. uh, good evening uh, uh, yeah i've got two questions here uh, is the, this team from runback uh, do, do they play in the in the multiple league the second division that's number one okay yeah. and then number two is it is devon city and devon united still existing Okay. At this point in time, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you, uh, uh, right. William. I think let's all get right, to that, all, Kevin. Explain yeah. to us where, where the Randberg uh, teams play, which leagues? Uh, Randberg sides uh, play in the uh, SAB league. Uh, that's uh, where all our youngsters that are 17 and 18 play in. And then the kids, as I've said, we have an association with Orlando Pirates. Yep. And our under-13s and 15s play in the Gauteng Development League against the Super Sports, the Chiefs, and, and, and the balance of the PSL clubs that have development clubs. And then Devon City and Devon United? No, they're long gone. They've finished, unfortunately. Uh, proud history, particularly Durban City, but they've uh, now defunct. That, was that Clive Barker's team? Clive Barker was Durban City. Played yes. for Durban United as a kid. And, and coach coached Durban, Durban City. City. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember that part. Yeah. Let's also speak to uh, Mr. Suli Bamji, uh, a legend of South African football also. And we want to understand, get his views on uh, why there's a lack of Indian players. And Mr. Bamji played in the Federation Soccer League era. They had some great Indian players back in the day. We all know Deshi Bakhtawa, uh, the Abraham brothers. Mr. Bamji, good evening. Thank you for joining us on SAFM. Are you well, sir? Yeah, thanks very much for having me. We also, uh, we're just asking the question, we want to fact finding mission here, Mr. Bamji, just about the lack of white and Indian players. And from, from your point of view, um, are, you all, are you concerned that there's a lack of Indian players in professional football? Yes, I'm very concerned. Mm. Because, you know, as a youth, as a guy that was young, and we used to play street soccer, if you can remember those days. Yes. All the youngsters used to get together used to play in the streets and enjoy themselves. They didn't want to go home when the game was ended. But today, you find the youngsters in the malls, they're going to movies. They don't have time for sports. And why very, is that? Why, why is that from your point of view? You know, the thing is, like, if they do play, they just go to the game, they play for that 80 or 90 minutes, and after that, they disperse. In the old days, we were getting together. The guys wanted to play. There was a passion for soccer. Mm. Is, uh, is South African football not appealing to, to them a- anymore? I don't know if it's the lower structures, if they're not playing, you know, if they're not mixed from the lower structures, I, that I, I can't tell you because myself, I turned to at the age of 17. I was traveling from where I live to 55 k's to Indonesia for training four nights a week. But the passion was in me. I wanted to play soccer. Mm. So the thing is, it just depends on how hungry they are. Do they want to play soccer? Do they want to be in a mall? Do they want to be in the movies? That's another thing. And are they exposed to the game? Is the, is, is the association, are the authorities taking the game to the people? I think the, the, you can't blame the authorities. The game is there. It's not going to die. Soccer will never die. But the thing is, it's the people that want to play the game. That is where the problem comes. It's the youth that, that are not interested anymore. Mm. And, you know, that, that's why you get so many foreigners playing in the country. Because the local guys don't want to play the game anymore. And they're not coming through. The youth are just not coming through. How do we sort out, how do we solve this issue? Because as I mentioned, I mean, we had a great line of, of, of Indian players, of white players back in the day. And South African football has always known to be a beautiful mix of, of, of players, unlike other sports, you know. Uh, how do we solve this, Mr. Bamji, going forward? Look, uh, the way I can see, the way, this is the way I'm thinking, but it's my way of thinking. I reckon... You got to revise the sports at school level. Yes. You got to get them. You know, before we used to play on a Wednesday at school. Every Wednesday, one school is to challenge another school, and then they used to sort the talent from there. If if they can get the schools to start challenging one another, then you start seeing people having an interest in the game. And and that's what the likes of Phil Massinga and Dr. Kumalo always tell us. They tell us back in the day when they were playing, uh, they they. They were identified at schools football. There were matches every Wednesday, and that's why there were so many good players coming out of that system. I mean, the brilliant Jomo Sono. Yes. Where was he spotted? 
Domo was spotted in school level. He used to play in the school days, and that's where they saw him. Yes. I mean, and not only Jomo, many other players. Mm. Well, you see, uh, once you play at school level, you've got an interest. You wait, when is the next game coming? Every day you train, you play, you enjoy, you wait, when is the school going to challenge another school? And and that just hypes you up. And as far as, as you, Mr. Bamji, are you still involved? I remember a couple of years ago we were at a workshop and you were at a Safka workshop. What was your role then? Uh, I was, but you see the problem where I'm living, man. I'm living in Elanfontein, it's out in the Eastland. And it's very difficult. They are not where I am, it's in an industrial area. Mm. I'm not living in a residential area. But mm. I did have a team a few years ago. They played in the first league in Fordsburg. Mm. But then also, like I was saying, slowly, slowly the youngsters faded away. Mm. Then we had to fold the team. Let's go to the lines. We've got another Akola. Uh, we've got KGM in Cape Town. KGM in Cape Town, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, Chief. How are you? Fine, thanks, KGM. What's your view or comment? Look, I think, importantly so, South African soccer in particular, when you look at the continent, uh, should have been far. Mm. And when I, what I mean by far is, when you look at, at, comparatively speaking, when you look at how resourced, how well-resourced we are, compared to the rest of the continent, including the likes of West Africans, Nigeria, Ghana, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, all of those. And we, we clearly there's something wrong that we are doing. And if you look at the number of uh, development structures, uh, such as the, the, the schools that are there, if you remember back in the day, the uh, School of Excellence, yes. and, the, and the product that came out of that, the, the biggest challenge in our country uh, particularly in, in soccer, and we're failing to learn from other sporting codes like uh, cricket, rugby, and so forth, is, is involving politics to a point where politics take over. And when I talk politics, I'm not talking the politics of soccer, because they, there is also politics of soccer. But then the, the politics of the day, I think we're giving too much time and credit to people who are in the positions of power claim to know what they don't know. Therefore, people who actually know are relegated to, to become uh, bench warmers and, and backbenchers, which is not right. But the, the other point that I would like to make is, I, I've put a challenge to, to uh, uh, Dr. Koza, for instance, and, mm-hmm. and, and Kaiser uh, many years ago, I think about eight, nine years ago, I said to them, if we're serious about uh, having a proper developmental structure in this country, think about it. Right now, we've got 18 teams in, in the league. What, what's so difficult in us not concentrating teams in one province, for instance, in a, a very rich province like Gauteng? Can you imagine uh, if we were yeah. to have two teams per province, structurally so, and say developmental structures also should follow suit in as far as that is concerned? KGM, save that for tomorrow because I, know, I, I see where you're going and that's one of the topics tomorrow. We're going to speak to Safa and I also want to talk about the whole structure of South African football because I think it's a mess. The fact that there's this ABC Mutsepe League and then uh, everybody's got a league around the country but only two guys get promoted to the NFD. Northern Cape has a winner every single year but they can never get promoted if they don't win the playoffs or make the final. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's crazy and we need to talk about that and that's why people are, are buying clubs. You can't blame them because it's so hard to get promoted in South African football. If you are in the Apps Premiership, only one goes down and then the other one still has a chance. So from the NFD, one goes up. Number two still has to fight to get into the APSA Premiership where the money is. And I think that's why people are buying because it's such a complicated structure that we have in South African football. And we'll talk to Safa about that tomorrow. But Kevin Moody, back back to you. The other argument, and it's also coming through on social media here. We actually spoke to Safa earlier in the week, Mandla Mazibuko, is that some of these white teams don't want to go play matches in the townships. For example, Sasfa will have a schools tournament in Soweto and they, they're saying that some of the modesty schools will not want to go to Soweto because they don't want to go play in the townships. Is that true? Well, not that I'm aware of. I'm certainly not aware of that because as far as I'm concerned, whether it's in the township, whether it's in the suburb, I've, I've not heard of that. And if the school, if schools are resorting to that, then they should never be invited back to play in the township again, no matter where that tournament is. Mm. And with this, with, with with this battle of Safa and Sasfa, I'm sure you're aware of it. Does it affect you guys no. as the club? No, it's not just at all. specifically it's, to, it's, it's to school football. It's politics and school football, and yeah, it's got nothing to mm. do with us. Yeah. And KGM also mentioned uh, an issue about politics. Do you think politics are playing a part here in the in the progression of white players? 
No, certainly not in the progression of white players that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, we've we've got to sit back and have a look at um, in certain sectors of. Uh, of the public in terms of sponsorship and that yeah, where on our level yeah. we find that some of the people are reluctant to put money behind teams because they're not they're not too confident in what's happening mm. at a later stage and as far as your teams in this case that you have at, at Drenbeck do you expose them to international uh, football do they go overseas do they play international tournaments yeah we took I took my under 13 side overseas last year to the Dynasty Cup in Spain very oh. very big tournament with a lot of teams and um we lost in the semi-final 2-1, so to a very, very good side. Sort of almost players that just didn't make the Real Madrid squad. Mm-hmm. So we, we sort of acquitted ourselves very well at that level. And uh, yeah, we, we, we tour as regularly as we can. We've got an under-12 side going to Sweden now in the next couple of weeks to the Gothia Cup. So that's as, that's as far as we can really take it right now in terms of tournaments around the world. And how important are these international tournaments to expose these kids? Because I remember we spoke to Sundowns and they were telling us their under-12s went to China or, or Japan and it was an eye-opener yeah. for them. I think it's very important to uh, expose the kids to tournaments wherever you can afford to take the kids. Certainly, it opens them up to different cultures. It opens up the way pa- players play differently, how maybe they're taught differently. opens up to different parts of the world they may never see again in their lives. So, I think it's very, very important that mm-hmm. we socialize. Mr. Bamji, you're still on the line. I'll give you the last word here. I mean, you've said that uh, the players are just not interested. There's no passion. But as far as parents are concerned, how much responsibility do parents take? Or is it just up to the players? If they don't want to play, then they don't want to play. You can't force them. No, but it's very sad because even parents are not interested in taking the children. Mm. The parents are too busy. They don't want to take the kids. In our time, we used to get the parents coming to watch us. They were motivating us. And it's a nice feeling. Imagine you going to the stadium and watching your child play. Mm. Your child feels motivated. He wants to play. Hey, my dad is there. My mom's there. You understand? But Mm. I don't say all the time it happens where the parents are not involved. I think most of the time it's even the kids. Like I said, you know, it's great that what Kevin Movidian are doing, taking the youth overseas, letting them see, giving the exposure, you know, that motivates them. It's excellent. But I think the youth itself today, many of them are just not interested. Mm. They've got other interests, like I said, movies, the malls. They don't mm. want to play soccer anymore. It's sad. You look among the Indian community. You don't even, there hasn't been an Indian player that's come through in the last few years. Yes, yes. I'm yes. just saying because, you know, like, uh, I mean, I'm from the Indian uh, background. And in the old days, the Indians played soccer. They were good soccer players. Uh, and, and now the only one that I can think of is that goalkeeper that was as Cosmos, uh, Nika. I can't yeah. think of, 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 of many more. But Mr. Sulibamji, thank you very much for joining us. We're still going to speak to you again and honor you as a legend of South African football. Uh, one day we'll get in touch with you. And Kevin, I'll end with this comment from, I'm not sure who's the SMS from, but it says when my granddaughter was three at nursery, they had football Fridays. She loved it. She's 10. She still plays at school. When should kids start playing? When do parents introduce them to the game? Or how early do you take them at Renbeck? Because I see that's a question that also came out. Well, we take the kids at four, four years of age to five in that year when they turn in five, sort of five and down. But not, we don't like to take three-year-olds. But certainly we call them peewees. <laughs> and then we go to under six, under seven, under eight, under nine, and all the way through to under 17, 19s, SAB and seniors. Boys and girls, I see some of the teams are mixed. Boys is that and how girls, it is? yeah. The girls, if a girl is 10, She's allowed to play under nine with the boys. Okay. Yeah, so they're allowed to play one year down. Oh, that is great. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for coming to studio and for joining us here in this discussion. Kevin Moody, who is now a part of the Randberg Football Club as Chief Operations Officer. Thank you very much. And that's it. That's all the time that we have. And up next, Mr. Ashraf Agada. Tonight's big hitter is Matole Mutsecha, Chair of the Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services. That's between 8 and 9 p.m. on SAFM Viewpoint. Luyolo, we should have called Mr. Ashraf Agada in studio. He should have told us why is there a lack of Indian players in South African football. He's a sporting man through and through. But thank you very much. My name is Tabiso Mosia. There'll be more sport in the morning with Brett Brown on Sunrise with Stephen Hortus. Any suggestions, ideas, always email Helen Kulchik. She's still around. Sport at SAFM. Fem.co.za